I miss a green, for example. I'm already upset. When I find my ball in the bunker, I'm really upset. And when I find my ball in a fried egg. Fried egg. The dreaded fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg lie. I'm about ready to run off the golf course. Hello and welcome to the Fried Egg Podcast. My name is Garrett Morrison, and I'm here today with Andy Johnson. How you doing, Andy? I'm doing great. Just, uh, you know, it's pretty cold here in Chicago, so... You're all bundled up. I had to walk across the street to the office, so it was, uh, you know, one of those... It's one of those mornings where you gotta kind of be... be bun- it's like one of those mornings, it, your, your house is letting in cold air. You're just never warm the whole day, no matter what. Yeah, we're, we're, we're getting some of the same in Oregon right now, but it's nowhere near the level of what I'm sure it is in Chicago. So I don't I don't really have a place to complain about it at the moment. But fake winter. it is it's chilly. Yeah, complain about fake the, winter. The, the, I think that there's some there's a, check the temperatures. There's there's a hint of real winter in the air. I, I did my I did my years in Chicago. It has felt similar these past couple of mornings, but. I'm I'm sure it's not as bad. Uh, whatever, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we we don't we don't need to have. We a choose we about choose it. where we live, so you know that's the that's the reality. So uh, we're talking today about Old McDonald. This is the second of our Bandon Dunes deep dive podcasts, and so we're going to go into detail about Old McDonald, which opened in 2010, was built in 2008 and nine. As you may have noticed, uh, we're doing these backwards, right? We started with the most recent course at the Bandon Dunes Resort, which is Sheep Ranch, and now we're to Old McDonald, which is the second most recent 18-hole course that was built at the resort. And the architects were Tom Doak and Jim Urbina, co-credited. They built this in the midst of a recession, kind of incredible that the project happened at all, but uh, a fascinating course and uh, looking forward to digging into it. All right, so why don't we start by talking a little bit about the origin story of Old MacDonald. So a lot of this information that I'm about to give, I got from the book Dream Golf by Stephen Goodwin, uh, which is a good read. Um, so originally, Kaiser Mike Kaiser wanted to build a replica of the Lido, which is this great lost course designed by C.B. MacDonald and Seth Rayner on Long Island. It was lost during the Depression, a lot of people at the time thought it was one of the great golf courses in the world. Mike Kaiser had gotten obsessed with it and and just wanted to resurrect it on this piece of land that he had just north of Pacific Dunes at the Bandon Dunes Resort. So yeah, his idea was to build a replica of the Lido. And he started kind of circulating this idea amongst his friends, and he didn't get the reaction that he was expecting. A lot of people thought that it would be kind of lame. They were like, a replica course, you know, that doesn't really sound that exciting. We've seen replica courses before. They're usually kind of cheesy. And so Kaiser ended up shifting gears and pursuing other ideas for this property. And around the same time, this must have been in the mid-2000s or so, Tom Doak talked him into doing a course with basically fresh renditions of C.B. McDonald's ideal holes or templates as, as they're often called. 
And so before people can really understand what's going on at Old MacDonald, they need to know a little bit about the templates, I think. Andy, you've written about the templates pretty extensively. Could you give just a basic introduction to what the ideal holes are? Yeah, for sure. So C.B. McDonald, obviously people have probably heard of C.B. McDonald. He's he's considered by many the kind of like the godfather of, of golf in America. He was uh, instrumental in building you know, getting golf started in America. He had studied abroad in St. Andrews, and that's where he picked up the game, and he came back to America and kind of, you know, after years of not playing, started picking up the game uh, in, in the Chicago area. So he he built Chicago Golf Club, uh, which, you know, there's a 75 courses that claim to be the first golf course in, in America. It's, it's one of the ones that claims that. Uh <laughs> You know, I'm not going to get into the semantics of all of them. But anyways, you know, golf architecture at that point was was pretty remedial. And, um, you know, people were building courses. And before he built National Golf Links of America, which is widely considered his greatest course, what he did is he went back over to the British Isles and studied all the great golf courses um, of the British Isles and some in Europe and and formulated these ideal holes basically he just picked out his favorite holes that all had strategies and different features about them and that became these what now are called template holes now these are inspirations off of these um ideal holes from great britain uh ireland maybe france that's a debatable subject about the brits um and uh and basically he came back and, and started building golf courses around these principles. Uh, so you see these golf holes all over the place, whether it's the Redan, you know, the Biritz, the Alps hole, which is from Prestwick, or the, you know, you got the bottle hole. And, and you have all these the road different, hole. different holes. The road hole from St. Andrews, the 17th, which everybody would know. And, um, and, and what he did was then he took, you know, these holes – and he and he built golf courses using these holes, which essentially was a fail-safe way to, you know, inject good strategic golf. Right? These are sound holes from principles, and adopted them over a wide range of of golf courses in different settings. And Seth Rayner was really somebody that you know did this at a large scale. CB McDonald only built a handful of golf courses for his rich friends that he wanted to appease and he never took a fee. Right. So Seth Rayner then and Charles Banks later uh kind of replicated this model and and you still see it today. You see a lot of templates used by modern architects. So it's you know it's not necessarily like a replica hole if that makes sense. It's more of like principles and they're adapted to their landscape. And I think that's a good way to describe old Mac because these are these do not look like Seth Rayner and C.B. McDonald's templates uh, per se. The shaping is much more, I don't know, modern, but much more natural. Uh, they aren't as manufactured and engineered, which makes sense. You know, today's machinery allows you to build things a little bit more subtly and fit them into the ground more than more so than when Seth Rayner and Charles Banks were building these with with steam shovels. Um, so I think the uh, Old Mac is a modern rendition of what C.B. McDonald would build. It is kind of the premise behind the the golf course. Tom Doak essentially did to C.B. McDonald's templates as C.B. McDonald did to the original versions of his templates. 
right? He, he, he took this inspiration and remixed it and, and made it his own. And, and that really is what McDonald and Rayner were doing. Rayner, by the way, I don't think we introduced as McDonald's protege. He was an engineer and he ended up building a great number of courses after his partnership his initial partnership with CB what, McDonald. What happened is people would inquire to CB McDonald and Rainer would go build the course. You know, like yeah, if, exactly. if it wasn't one yeah. of CB McDonald's rich friends or somewhere he wanted to have a house, he didn't build it. Rainer one. <laughs> right. So I think that often people misunderstand McDonald and Rainer's templates in that they think that they're copies of these holes and that they're just sort of replicating them at every course they build. And that's not quite accurate. These templates are always being adapted to individual landscapes. And then the ideas for the templates themselves, like what the template holes were, is often very different from what the inspiration was in uh, whatever course it was in Great Britain and Ireland. You know, they were really C.B. McDonald, Seth Rayner designs these template holes. They, They were fundamentally their ideas just based on these original examples. And so I think that a good way to understand the template holes or the ideal holes is that they were really a powerful marketing device and an educational device for the American golfing public. They're saying, you know, this is what golf architecture is. It's kind of incorporating some of these strategies into different holes. And it's a very easy way to understand what makes a well-designed golf hole for a public at the time that just really wasn't very knowledgeable in general about golf architecture. Yeah, I mean, that's a great way to explain it because National Golf Links changed the landscape of golf architecture in America. It was really like what many consider the first great golf course in America. And it led to so many courses that existed being redesigned. Um, This is kind of right when Donald Ross was starting to, you know, build his design career in America. And, you know, he brought a lot of ideas from being, you know, living in, in Scotland, you know, and the this took golf out of the Victorian kind of era of golf course design. This this idea, and you hit it on the nail on the head. It's about the principles. And if you study the templates, you you start to understand, you know, what strategy is and the ideas of variety. You know, one of the things that the templates do, you know, with the par threes, and I think those are the holes that become most famous and synonymous, A, because they're easy to remember. They're one-shot holes. You know, they have, you know, very defined characteristics. But, like, one of the brilliant things about the templates in the par threes is you get a 130-yard par three, 170-yard par three, 190, mm-hmm. 200 yard par three, and like a 230 par three. You got variety. Like it, it's just like a simple thing like that, but it, it doesn't mean you're not going to have four 200 yard par threes unless the, the templates are playing nothing like the principles of them, you know? Yeah, it, it was just a way of sneaking solid architectural principles into courses and being able to communicate what they were doing. Now, some would say, you know, there are opinions that Rayner wasn't that talented and this was a way for him to be a good architect was just simply following these rules. But like, that's the point of the templates is like, if you build these golf holes in different landscapes and you don't, you know, and you just like kind of fit them to the landscape, these, these strategies, you're not going to build a bad golf course. 
And I think there's definitely an opinion out there that Rainer is overrated or that Rainer wasn't a very talented architect. There are definitely people who hold that opinion. I think maybe the more nuanced version of that opinion is that McDonald and Rainer represented a transitional stage in golf course architecture. And the ensuing generation of golf architects in America, the, the golden age of golf architecture, as we call it, moved beyond that, kind of took that initial breakthrough that McDonald and Rayner made in, in strategic golf architecture, ran with it and made something original out of it. And so there are some people who say that, yeah, McDonald and Rayner are important, but we've moved beyond that now. We've moved past that. Let, let's leave that behind. Let's come up with truly original whole ideas. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, that's that's a good way to put it. And one of the things with like Rayner and McDonald golf courses Every single golf course has holes that aren't template holes that are, you know, you know, a lot of them occupy some of the best ground. Um, you know, I think of like St. Louis Country Club. They have a part they have five par threes and one of which is called the crater hole. It's the only only one of it. And it's it's set into this hillside. It's a really dramatic. You play from one one ledge to the other ledge. You go to Shore Acres and you've got the 11th hole and the 15th hole, two of the greatest, you know, holes in America that are not template holes. You know, they're, they are, you know, original designs. So, you know, they're, the templates were a guide, you know, and, and I think at Old Mac, you see the same thing. Like there are, you know, template holes, but there also are a few that are not template holes. Yeah, so we could keep going down this rabbit hole for a while discussing McDonald and Rainer. I think but, it's important um, while we're here, we can call this out is our website thefriedag.com has extensive materials on each not each not every template, but maybe one day we'll get to that, get back to that, but a lot of the templates and we have profiles on McDonald and Rainer if you want to read more. And I think, by the way, one of the reasons that you wrote this template series is that it was a relatively easy and accessible way to introduce the golf basic arch- principles yeah. of golf course architecture. The, exactly. the template series is often where people start on our website. And I think that that's, that's really representative of how the templates functioned for McDonald and Rainer in the first place. They were using these as educational devices. And it's it's pretty amazing that they still function the same way today. And and one more thing that I should add before we move into Old McDonald is that you know in this debate about whether Rainer particularly was a talented architect, I think that when you go actually play a Rainer golf course, you see why he was so well respected and why he remains so well respected. You know, the courses don't feel like a bunch of replica holes at all. They, they feel like these holes kind of belong in the landscape and there are little subtle adjustments here and there that Rainer makes with every hole to adapt them to the land that he was working with. And so I, I think the idea of Rainer is a guy who just kind of pasted certain template holes on top of a landscape and didn't give much thought about how to weave them into that landscape is is pretty unfair to what he actually did at these courses. This episode of the Fried Egg Podcast is brought to you by Zero Restriction. So on our trip to Bandon Dunes last November, we encountered all kinds of weather. We played Bandon Trails in torrential rains and gale force winds, and we played Old Mac on a beautiful, clear, but somewhat chilly day. So we needed performance apparel that was really versatile, that could handle anything that the Oregon coast threw at us. 
Thankfully, we were outfitted on this trip by Zero Restriction. Zero Restriction makes excellent cutting-edge outerwear, and we actually got to try a couple of new items from the ZR collection on this trip, including the Mayweather Pullover and the Wave Hybrid. Both of these pieces have high-tech fabrics that are water-repellent, moisture-wicking, and all that good stuff, and they're nice and stretchy and comfortable. And finally, both items can function really well as either a top layer for a mild day or as a middle layer for those colder and wetter days. You can find the Mayweather Pullover, the Wave Hybrid, and all sorts of other apparel right now at ZeroRestriction.com. And if you use the code OLDMAC at checkout, that's one word, all caps, O-L-D-M-A-C, OLDMAC at checkout, you'll get 20% off at ZeroRestriction.com. All right, so into Old McDonald. One note about the design team, kind of a unique arrangement that they had here. First of all, Mike Kaiser requested that Tom Doak and Jim Urbina share the design credit. Jim Urbina was a longtime associate of Tom Doak's at Renaissance Golf Design. And this time through, Kaiser said, why don't you guys design this course together and you'll get a co-credit on it. Um, Essentially, what happened is that Urbina supervised construction and Doak made regular visits. So it was similar to an arrangement that they might have had in the past when... kind of how he's got it set up with all of his associates. Yeah, that's that's absolutely the usual arrangement. Just in this case, Kaiser was saying this is a co-credit. So, so sort of interesting. I think one of the reasons was that Kaiser at the time didn't want the same architect to design two courses at Bandon Dunes, and Tom Doak had already designed... Pacific Dunes. And so Kaiser was like, let's do something new. Let's have this be a Doak Urbina project. Now, in addition to that, there was an old McDonald advisory panel consisting of Bradley Klein, who is a golf course writer, George Botto, who is a historical researcher who wrote The Evangelist of Golf, which is a, a biography of C.B. McDonald. It's, it's really a landmark work and I, I think golf course writing. Um, so he was on the advisory panel. And then Carl Olson, who was the superintendent at National Golf Links. And Olson is one of the kind of early restorers of a classic golf course. He was doing work at National Golf Links to bring it back to the original design in the early 80s, I believe, Carl Olson was, just in his capacity as a superintendent. So that was the old Mac advisory panel, and they were involved in this process as well. It was a a very kind of collaborative design process. I think at times it was combative. You know, there are some stories in Dream Golf about debates that this team had about various features on the golf course. They all kind of had input. And obviously there would be disagreements. One disagreement was about this burn or this little waterway that Jim Urbina wanted to put in on the 17th hole. And Urbina was really pushing hard for this. He he was bringing his case directly to Mike Kaiser and saying, I really want this burn. It's it's daring. It's, it's audacious. It's a memorable feature. And then Tom Doak was on the other side of it saying, I don't think this really belongs in this landscape. There's nothing else on the course that really tells you that this might be here. And, and so there was some real disagreement about this particular feature. And eventually Tom Doak's side of the argument won out and they did not build the burn on the 17th hole. But if you read Dream Golf, there's there's a whole really kind of in-depth <laughs> narrative of of this disagreement that they had. And I think it gives you an idea of what this design process was like. 
So maybe we should get to the course itself now. Just talking about old Mac in general, what do you think makes it distinct from the other band in courses? I think, well, uh, aside from the templates, I mean, the, the ideal whole, that whole concept that makes it unique, but, but just like, if you didn't know about that, walked out onto the golf course, what, what would be different about it? It's the biggest golf course there in the sense of it's got the biggest fairways. It's got the biggest scale. I want to, you know, I think scale gets thrown around a lot. It's kind of a buzzword, but it's got the biggest scale. It's got the biggest greens. It, It navigates over this huge ridge that is a, it's a dune that runs all the way from, you know, old Mac through Pacific dunes, through Bandon dunes and through uh, abandoned trails it it plays over this ridge and it, and it's just a it's a large scale golf course where all the features are are pretty much big you know you have big greens you have big wide fairways and you have some big hills that you kind of play over dunes that you play over and onto mm-hmm. um and, and and this is what you mean by the way when you mean when you say this course has big scale you mean the combination of big golf course features like greens and fairways and bunkers and big landforms you yes. don't just mean there's big landforms because there's big landforms on every band and dunes course but old mcdonald is different in the sense that the the scale of the fairways and greens competes with the scale of the landforms exactly so it's a it's a big ballpark and then you know with that it's the only course that doesn't like just have you on the ocean outside of trails you know trails kind of plays you go up into the forest but it's the only coastal course that's not really you're not staring at the ocean most of the day so it's the least, if you go to the resort, it's the least popular golf course. It gets the least amount of rounds. That is very true. Should it? I don't know. I don't think it should. In my book, I wouldn't have it be there. I think the conversation about Old Mac always kind of tends to revolve around what it doesn't have, which is ocean views, rather than what it does have. And I think this is like an important thing with with Old McDonald and understanding it. Um, it's arguably got the best starting holes and the best finishing holes. It also has the best playing conditions at the resort, in my opinion, where it's it's fescue, it's firm and fast almost all the time. And then you know it also has the most day to day variety because of the large scale that it has the wide fairways and these greens that are huge that really can set the golf course up wildly different day to day. Now at a resort, you know, day to day variety isn't really a big deal, but if you're thinking about like as a golf course, you know, in evalu- evaluating it as a golf course, like day-to-day variety is really important. And, and like you could go out, you can see yourself out at Old McDonald playing one day to the next and playing a few days in a row and really getting a wildly different experience every day. Um, you know, the middle of the golf course, I think, is where it loses some people. It gets very hard. I'd say that, you know, it's, it's probably the hardest stretch of golf uh, outside of maybe Pacific dunes and in, in spaces on the golf uh, at the golf resort. And, uh, you know, it traverses some of the, you know, less interesting land and it doesn't look at the ocean while it while it goes across this uninteresting, relatively uninteresting land. Like anywhere else, this land would be very good. But, you know, in the grand scheme of Bandon, you know, it's less interesting. 
you know, meaning that it doesn't have as many, you know, humps and bumps and, and, and stuff, and you're not looking at the ocean. So I think that's where it kind of, it rubs people the wrong ways, the difficulty of it. People probably shoot a lot of their higher numbers at this golf course uh, on their trips. And, um, you know, I think that's, that's how I would, you know, describe old Mac just in general. Well, so uh, just to clarify, the reason that you're not staring at the ocean the whole time at Old McDonald is that unlike Pacific Dunes and Bandon Dunes and Sheep Ranch, there's a big ridge next to the ocean and the golf course sits on the inside portion of that ridge. And most of the time you can't see over it to the ocean. There are a couple of holes that kind of climb up that oceanside ridge and you can see to the other side, but the great majority of the golf course, especially that middle portion that you're talking about, feels like it's inland. It doesn't feel like you're necessarily at a seaside course, except for, you know, the wind and the smells and, and all that kind of stuff. And and so that's why you don't have those ocean views. It reminds me the property a little bit. I said this when we were out there. I, I called Seminole a salad bowl, mm. you know, and, and Seminole's got two famous ridges that I say are like the the forks, the tongs. Um, but like, it's, it's just like that in, in essence, like Seminole, like you're right on the ocean, but you don't see the ocean that much unless you're up on one of the ridges. And it's very similar here where, you know, you've got the big ridge that you play over on the third hole and then you're down into the bowl and then you come up onto the edge of the ridge at, at seven and eight T and, uh, and then also uh 16 T, but like in 15 green, but that that's very it's very parsed out you're you're on the ocean you're playing coastal golf but you just can't see it because of these ridges something that you mentioned earlier also is the conditioning of old mcdonald which is really delightful it is truly firm and fast it it uh, drains incredibly well and it was the first course at bandon dunes to be seeded with 100 percent fescue now one advantage that Old McDonald has in this regard is that it's a newer course than Bandon Dunes, Bandon Trails, and Pacific Dunes. And at those courses, at some point in the past, they were a little bit firmer because they didn't have as much POA coming in and, and kind of pushing out the fescue. But Old McDonald still has, has really great linksy playing conditions. And you know, part of the consequence of that approach, of the 100% fescue approach, is that there is what Jim Urbina calls in, in Dream Golf a seamless look to the course. And what he means by that is at most golf courses, you see the green is distinct from the fringe, is distinct from the rough, and the fairways are distinct from the rough. And there are these kind of different colors and different textures, and it directs your eye to the places where you're supposed to play. You know, you, you head for the lighter green fairway, you head for the lightest green of the putting surface, right? And, and, and the whole, the seams of the course show you where to play. And that's a consequence of the way that the grass is kept, right? At Old McDonald, there aren't really those cues. In fact, a lot of the time you can't tell the green apart from the surroundings. You can't, see that the green is necessarily different from the fairway. And so there is a kind of seamlessness to the entire look of the course, which is different even from Pacific Dunes or, or the other courses at the resort. There is a real sense of like, there's a lot of openness here and I don't necessarily know where to play. 
right? I kind of have to go out there and figure it out. And I think that's a really cool adventure aspect of it is where Mm -hmm. when you're just trying to figure it out, like the idea of bewilderment the first time you go around a place, I think is a pretty neat feeling. But it's also it kind of gives you an uncertain feeling. And I can see how uh, a lot of golfers might feel like they're a little lost. And and that's and that's a, you know, can be a a bad feeling. And, And I think like those defined lines, what you're talking about is what kind of creates those pictures in people's minds mm-hmm. and it, it adds to memorability, especially when you throw ocean into it or, Absolutely. or towering trees, like in the, in the back part of trails, you know, like where you have these towering trees and it's just like, you know, it's gorgeous, like Pacific Northwest forest, like, it, you know, that that's memorable. And, and it's why so many courses in the Midwest add this, you know, add the fescue strands to their, you know, in between holes is to create those defined lines and those pictures in people's minds and and i think that's where you know i you know what i think about old back is i just think like a lot of like when i hear people talk about it i think it's a lot it's really misunderstood and i think that's you know what are what are the things that gives it a knock is is just like all these things combined together are what what lead people to you know look a little bit past the substance of the golf course and lead to, you know, it's my least favorite because, and not, well, like the thing, the thing that's crazy is like, it's the course, maybe, you know, I, I think it, you know, seeing Pacific dunes again is really worth it, but like outside, like Pacific dunes and this, I think are the courses that you most need to play a second time. Do you think that old McDonald would be more highly regarded if it weren't a resort course? Because the, the whole idea of, of one of these destination resort courses is that you play it once. And that's something that David McClay Kidd, as an architect, has really figured out later in his career. People are going to generally play this course one time. I'm going to let them have as good of a time as possible, shoot their lowest score. And, and that's, that's kind of where Mammoth Dunes comes from. The, the idea that you're going to play this course once and have a blast. I'm not sure that Mammoth Dunes would be as fun on replays as Old Mac is. Old Mac really does reward those repeat visits. The problem is people aren't doing many repeat visits at Bandon Dunes, and so they don't get that experience. Yeah, there's a couple courses, I think, that fit this bill that are resort courses where I think there's a lot of stuff that that once you scratch and get below the initial surface, there's a lot of really neat things going on the loop is one that comes to mind where the first play first time around it could really rub you the wrong way but the more and more you go around the more you you realize stuff i think kingsley club's one that that does this too where it can kind of punch you in the face and and you you get some bad breaks and you but then you realize like if i was over here it'd be a lot better spot and and things and i think old max that way where like the severity of some of the contours can, and, and the way the ball can just roll and trundle away seemingly to nowhere good all the time is, is it can really frustrate people. And but like the more you play it, the more you see where the spots are that that would funnel it right to the hole. And in order to understand where those spots are, no matter how good your caddy is, you know, your caddy's going to tell you, hey, you should hit it here. But like you're not gonna believe him all the time or believe her all the time like you know once you see it happen that's when and that's where the repeat plays happen all the time and i completely agree with your 
with your commentary about David McClay Kidd. Like, Mammoth Dunes is so popular. But I think personally, and this is just my personal opinion, that it gets less and less interesting every time I go around it because it's really just 14 punch bowl greens in, of 18 holes. And, you know, punch bowls are great. I love punch bowls. I did, I've done videos on punch bowls. But, you know, the variety of different green complexes and, and restraining yourself to maybe one or two punch bowls is fun. But if you wanted to build a golf course that everybody shoots their lowest score ever, you build wide fairways and punch bowls, and then it doesn't matter where you are to hit into the green most people are not going to play Mammoth Dunes as many times as you've played it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, And, and it, so so it serves its purpose that's in that exactly sense. That's exactly the like, point. Like, it, it, as a resort course, you know, that that's a great question. You know, it, what is it supposed to be? It, it, you know, what makes a great... is? Should we look at resort courses and judge them differently than we judge, you know, a municipal course or a exactly. member's course? Like, you know, it, and I think that's like something... Like, everybody always says, like... Oh, that's a great tournament golf course. And then you this is the same discussion that you get into with like say Wingfoot and Quaker Ridge, right? Mm-hmm. Wingfoot West is just a ball buster. It's going to punch you in the face all day, and it's not something I don't I would necessarily want to do every day. But as a member, yeah. Yeah, as a member, but then you go across the street and it's like Quaker Ridge is like it's a joy. It's got a little bit more interesting ground which which leads to a little bit more day-to-day variety, and it's like which one's a better course? Well, they're different types of courses, you know, are we judging them on the same scale? You know, are we, it's a, it's a really interesting debate because the theory is like, it shouldn't matter what type of course they are, but it does matter, you know, because businesses are tied to these things. And the realistic thing is like, you know, Mammoth Dunes for Mike Kaiser, the Kaiser family, Mammoth Dunes is a more successful resort course, probably. I'm not, fully pertinent on the details, a more successful resort course than Old McDonald. But in my opinion, as as somebody who looks at a lot of golf courses and talks about golf courses, in my opinion, Old McDonald does is leaps and bounds a better golf course than than Mammoth Dunes. And and but but part of the reason for that is that it's better on repeat plays, right? Yeah. Because this is a, an entrenched criterion for evaluating a golf course that golf course architecture aficionados have how well does it do on repeat plays and i think that that comes from a legitimate you know philosophical basis that you know a, a really good golf course can reveal itself over time through many different rounds and and there's a genius to designing a course that can do that for a player but at the same time, the whole resort model is is kind of based on the idea that you're you're really just going to do this once or maybe a couple of times in your life. This is a dream golf trip. You don't do a dream golf trip a couple of times a year. You know, uh, it, it's it's a far more rare than that, and that's what makes it special. And so it kind of that that whole model, that business model, challenges the philosophical conviction that we have that a course should get better on repeat plays as opposed to just ingratiating itself to you on the first play. Yeah. I I mean, like, I think a good, a good thing, a good way to think about it just for everybody that's gone through, you know, life dating life and and finding your partner (laughs) is like, there's a reason usually you don't propose after one date, you know, you, you, 
you marry someone after years of of, of experience, life experiences with them is that you you really know this is the right person for you, you know. And I think I think that's like something to like. That's the way I think about golf courses personally, and I, I and everybody should think about it differently. But if you're looking at purely a business standpoint, and I think that's like a big topic of golf architecture that I, I talked with Tim Jackson and David Kahn about it. it. You know, the interesting thing about golf architecture is like, it's different than every other art form, right? If you're, if you're going to become a big musician or a big artist, like the reality is so many musician origin stories start with them just making music for themselves in their garage, you know, and those are the big hits and everything, but they do it. It's a self, fulfilling process and their biggest hits like the hardest thing with musicians is they get famous and it's like how do we come up with new material that's real yeah selling out selling out is a big deal in music right the idea of an indie band selling out by signing on to a major label golf architecture from the beginning has already sold out sold out of unless you get that just great client that just lets you do what you want to do we Mm -hmm. very almost never and and the Kaisers have done wonderful things, but I would say that they are they are very heavy handed in the design process, which isn't a bad thing. It's not a you know I'm not saying that's a bad. They have good taste and everything, but hardly is the architect provided a canvas to just do what they want to do in these situations. Yeah. They you know the the Dream Golf book it it goes into great detail about tweaks and revisions and all this stuff. Like very rarely is a golf architect actually allowed to do what they artistically and create like fully unleash their creativity on site because you know the owner whatever it may be the club committee has their own thoughts that get injected and in, in almost you know I I don't want to say poison they they somewhat <laughs> they alter it. Like if I had somebody that was like over my shoulder while I was trying to write something, telling me what they <laughs> think, like the the piece isn't going to turn out the same as if I just write it myself. Yeah, but but you send it to me and I edit it, right? Well, and, every- and I edit it with the audience in mind. Like, is this is this idea coming across clearly to the audience? A writer I used to work with at a previous job. Once told me, Andy, everybody's writing sucks until it gets edited. So don't be self-conscious. And I think that's... <laughs> or I, revised, at least. Yeah. I think that's the thing I was impressed most about, about, you know, not to diverge into Scottsdale National, was that Bob Parsons just left him alone and then came back and edited it at the end. You know, that's yeah, like... Well, he, he named the holes and he did his, Yeah, you know, well, he did, he did say, like, I don't like this. Like, you know, I, I like this, you know, but it was after they had done the majority of the creative process. Yeah. Well, and to bring it back to Mike Kaiser, he does oversee the design process, or he did when the Band and Dunes courses were being built. But I'm not sure it was necessarily from a place of ego. You know, e- ego is always a factor with these tremendously rich people. It's, it's inevitable. But what I think he was trying to do in the design process was represent the perspective of the quote unquote retail golfer. And whether or not you think he had a truly clear idea of what the retail golfer wanted, Mike Kaiser was devoted to having that perspective be heard while these artists were designing their courses. Because I think probably Kaiser's belief is that Bill Corr and Tom Doak are artists and that's their job to be artists and to try to make great works of art. 
but that's not all that these courses are. Mm-hmm. They are part of my business and they're meant to serve the retail golfer. And so that point of view needs to be present in the design process. I think that's what Mike Kaiser sees himself as doing. Yeah. And I, I don't think he's necessarily wrong. Yeah. Now, like what you're talking about this, that makes me think that like, you know, the full blown version of selling out is just deciding what you think people think is fun. What you think people think they want. I, I guess. And, and, and sort of being condescending in your idea of what you think people want. Mm-hmm. So believing that people are stupider than they actually are and designing to that. Yeah. So I don't know. It's a uh, it, old Mac is is everybody's got an opinion on it. And I think that that should I think it falls into that bucket like other courses I think about that that fit this kind of mold. Like one that jumps to mind is Tobacco Road, where it's got like a really wide range of opinions on it. I don't think anybody's necessarily wrong. It just it kind of is a barometer for for the type of golf courses that that somebody likes. And again, like I I reiterate this all the time, like golf course taste, there's nothing wrong with disliking old Mac or like like or liking loving old Mac. Like there's nothing wrong. Like this all personal taste, right? And and that's what's the the makes golf courses and and talking about it so fun is that there's such a wide range of taste. And, and I think that's the thing about old Mac is it's, it's super divisive, but like, you know, because it's so polarizing, that's why I think of, of almost all of them out there, it deserves some of the most study because there's a lot going on that evokes reaction and any sort of art that really evokes a wide range of emotions and reaction is onto something. It's worthy of being preserved at the very least as part of the collection of courses at Bandon Dunes. It's really cool that, you know, whether you like it or not, it's really cool that old McDonald is there. Um, maybe we should get into the specifics of the course. So what, what are some holes that you think really do their job well at old McDonald? If you were to point to a couple of holes to say, this is an example of old McDonald at its best, which holes would you point to? Well, oh man, there's so many. Uh, a lot of them are really solid. We we discovered this when we went through the Dream 18 exercise that we did in December. You know, you could make an argument for a lot of different holes at Old McDonald as being among the best of their number at the resort. The first seven are probably the best first seven holes at any golf course. Um, yeah. It it starts off with a bag like it's over dead. Like one of the things I think that it does really well that's uh, emblematic of um, of Rainer and McDonald is the the least interesting ground is on the starting and ending uh, holes. So seventeen, eighteen, one, two. It's on the backside of this of the big dune that you go over and into the bowl. So those holes have very bold templates. And that's something that Raider and McDonald did a lot of is like where the ground was less interesting. They put really big features and and templates that like work no matter what the ground is. So you start with the double plateau 
Um, it's really fun as a short par four. What it's maybe one of the best green concepts in golf. And why I think it's one of the best green concepts of golf is that no matter what type of approach you're hitting into it is, is really fun shot. And in this case, you're hitting like a short little wedge shot into it. And it, and with the firm conditions, like that's the thing you come there and it's a little bit like one of the things that does right off the bat is pops you in the face a little bit because it's firmer than everywhere else. And you're hitting this little wedge, like a a lot of times a half wedge in there and that first bounce you're like whoa this place is a little different like it's a tone setter and i think that's you know it gets gets people on it on its, their heels a little bit right off the bat because of the firmness of the turf you're hitting a wedge off that firm fescue is not like a, a shot a lot of people are comfortable with and it kind of you know the eden hole the second hole eden hole is one of the best edens like i think we're the templates of Rayner and McDonald fall short. Like the Eden's holes have, are across the board. A lot of them in America aren't that good. And this is probably one of the best Eden templates. Why, why don't you think the typical McDonald and Rayner Eden is is particularly good? Is there not much going on at the green typically? I think, I think part of it's just modern technology has um, rendered them a little bit. And I think like the, the thing, you know, from from pictures of of St Andrews like I don't think they captured the the severity of uh-huh. of the of the 11th at St Andrews which is what it's modeled off of uh very well in a lot of cases and I think you know and that could be just something the way they've aged you know um and maybe tinkering but this this one this one is is one of the most memorable holes out there and then you know if I fast forward a little bit I think like the 16th the Alps hole is pretty unforgettable and embodies the golf course because it's a, it's a spectacular version of the Alps hole, which originally is the 17th at, at Presswick. It is a hole that it's just got these gargantuan landforms. You've got a dune cutting in from the left that provides the blindness. If you play over to the right, the hole gets longer, but you can see in to the kind of the bowl, the hollow that the green sits in. It's not a bowl because it rejects a lot of different ways, but the hollow where you can actually get a look at the pin. But then if you play left, it shortens it dramatically and you get, but you're just so blind. It's the blindest of blind shots where you literally like are the caddy's telling you where to go and you're just hitting it on that praying he's right. You know, like it's where you have to put, put full trust in it. And I think that hole does such a good job of encapsulating like the gargantuan nature of the property. The the dune is huge that you play over to get to the green. It is truly a blind shot if you're not way out to the right. If you are way out to the right, then you can kind of see around, as you were saying, into that hollow. But I think what you discover is that the blindness is not really a big deal on that hole. Because yeah. if you play out to the left... And you just kind of hit a a decent shot over the dune. If you get the ball over the dune, it's going to run down and be on the green. Yeah. Everything kind of feeds onto the green from that dune. And so if you just get in the vicinity, you're going to end up in a pretty good spot. And so the blindness really isn't that big of a deal. But the first time you play it, it's really intimidating and you don't know where the hell to go. And and so that's that's where you know I've I've played old Mac I've been lucky enough to play old Mac three times now, it was only on the third time this most recent time that we played it that I realized this about the hole that 
yeah, just hit your drive out to the left. It's not a big deal and loft your approach over the dune. It's going to filter down there and, and be in a pretty good spot. That was a late discovery. I did not know that the first time I played the hole. Yeah. And another great hole for repeat play is the leave it hole, the 13th, where, you know, you've got two, di- the green really dictates everything back. It, it sits in this beautiful little pocket and it's got wild contours. It's kind of got a high, high left side and a lower right side that's bowly. And, you know, you can, you can shorten your route by playing up the left always, but it, it leads to a little bit more tricky of a, a golf shot into that green. But if you play right, which is over by these bunkers, you, you know, you get a real big bowl and you get a little bit easier of a shot into that left side of the green. Yeah, the the leaving hole is delightful. And it's in an area of the property that's sort of like that other side of the dune ridge that you were talking about, where the land is a little bit less interesting. And so a lot of the most recognizable and extreme templates are in that area where the 13th hole, the leaving is. So the 11th hole is sort of in that section of the property. It's a road hole. The 12th hole is in the same section. It's a Redan. And uh, and so those templates were saved for that piece of land. Now, um, two holes that I keep thinking about are the fifth hole, the short hole, and the sixth hole, the long hole. Great hole. And these are part of that opening stretch that you were talking about. And they're so wonderful. You often ask people, if you were to pick a green to put in your backyard, what green would it be? And I would have a hard time choosing between the fifth and the sixth at Old McDonald, but I think it would be one of those two, probably the sixth green. There's just like so much variety, so many little nooks and crannies to the green that Doak's team designed there. It would just be endlessly fun to kind of hit shots around there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, I think the fifth is is such a smart hole too. Is like in terms of a modern a- adaptation on on short holes. Like one of the things that happens with short holes is, especially at resorts, they just get beat to shit because of you know so many people playing them and hitting the green. It's a it's a green that everybody hits, so you get the, you know ball marks all over the place. This green is just massive, and it's got all these different pockets. Like you could play it ten days in a row, and it wouldn't you know there you could find ten pins easy out there that are wildly different in different sections of the greens and it, and, it, and it really all of them pretty much really reward great shots which i think is the you know when you think about the short hole template and the short hole concept what sh- great short par threes what encapsulates them is all of them the great ones is if you hit a really great shot you can make it two, but if you hit an average shot, you're going to have to work your ass off for four. And if you hit a bad shot, you know, the range of outcomes can get very high, very quick. And, you know, like you could be staring like, how do I get out of here with a double? You know, yeah. if you get into the wrong spot, like where, like, you know, we've all been there, in, in, you know, depending on what, you know, all all levels of play where you you all of a sudden start to think about, like, how do I get out of here in X? And that's the thing that that hole can do. Um, and, and with regards to the six, I think one of the cool things about the six is like the shot types that come into it. You know, what we talked a little bit about one, whether you're hitting a three wood in there trying to get home in two, or if you lay up and you're hitting like a little wedge, that green is so fun to hit hit shots into. 
Yeah, you can do it in a bunch of different ways. You can run it on. You can try to hold a particular section of the green. Yeah, it's great. Um, the the short hole, the fifth hole, you're, you're so right that a lot of the great short par threes are do or die propositions. But the way that most of them do that is by having a really small green with a lot of trouble around it. Right. That that's that's just what a lot of the most famous short par threes are. And the short hole has an absolutely massive green that it shares with the 10th hole. So it is the opposite in some ways, but it's still do or die because there are these small sections of the green that you need to hit if you want to have a really good chance at a par. Right. And if you hit it, then then you have a good chance at a birdie. If you don't hit that small section of the green, you're going to have such a crazy putt that you're going to be looking at a three putt more than likely. And so that's how it introduces that danger, that that sense of peril that a lot of the great short par threes have. And, and this is also another point of where I think golfers get rubbed the wrong way is they feel I hit the green. How did I make a four or a five? Mm-hmm. Like they yep. get frustrated. This is a stupid green. But like when you think about the hole, you didn't hit the good shot. You didn't hit a good shot. You got a wedge in your hand. You didn't hit a good shot. Like that's like you you should make a four. You know, the person that hits it 15 feet away and is in a good spot and walks away with three, you should have to really hit a great shot to match their three. That, and that's the irony of it, uh, that if there were rough around a much smaller green and it was still do or die, people might not have as much of a problem with it. But because it's all green, they just have the expectation that if I get on the green, then I should have a really good chance at two putting. But that's just not an expectation that's going to be fulfilled at Old McDonald in general. And, and I think that is a big reason why some people react poorly to Old McDonald, because you're just going to three putt a lot. So I, I one thing I wanted to talk about is I think the stretch of nine through 12 is where old Mac loses people. I know it's, it's one of your least favorite stretches of golf on the, at the resort. I personally, I like some of the holes. I think one of the reasons I, I, I think is like, I'm a little bit longer player than you. And, you know, I, I think I, I like having to hit long irons into greens occasionally. Um, <laughs> but I, I, you know, I think the 10th, they're very, very hard golf holes. If you, if you play them to their assigned par. And I think that is, is where I kind of fall on them, but I, I would love to hear, you know, kind of your critiques on, on holes nine through 12. You know, I, I don't have a big problem with really hard, long golf holes. You know, I think that four at Old McDonald definitely fits that description. It's it's basically, I think, on many days, a par five, but it's a par four on the scorecard. But um, I, I, I love that hole. And so I don't really have a problem with it, with a hole being long and difficult. And and I, I don't hate holes nine through 12. I think actually 10, the bottle hole is is has a terrific green. Um, the road hole, the 11th, is uh, a really well-functioning road hole. I think the Redan uh, falls short of whatever it's trying to do. But at the same time, we hit drivers into that Redan on the day that we played. All of us were hitting driver into it. And a couple of us hit the green. And so th- the problem that a lot of people have with that Redan hole is that it's uh, incredibly, incredibly difficult to hit the green on the day we were there, the wind was pretty still. And so that was probably a factor, but we were able to hold that green. 
the ninth hole is is not one of my favorite holes at, at Old Mac. Uh, I think that it's it's a cape hole, and the general idea uh, on the approach is that you know you can really sling it in there if you hit it left to right, and you can run the ball from well before the green to the very back of the green. But I think the way that the contours are right now, that it's just a little too unlikely that you're going to hold that back section of the green, even if you hit a great shot in there. It's just really frequently going to filter off the back of that green and into the little chipping hollow beyond. I think that outcome is just maybe a bit too common for my taste, but at the same time, it's a fun shot. It's a fun shot to try. I'm sure that it's accomplishable. I think in general that those holes are a little bit harder to love because of the relatively featureless land that they're on. And I say relatively because on many other golf courses, that might be the best stretch of land on the course. But at Bandon Dunes, it, it doesn't really grab you as being a great piece of golfing terrain. And that's why some of the boldest templates are there. But I think the holes that are around it just work better. Well, I think the other thing, too, is that those are the places where you lose the massiveness of the ridge. This, those are the holes that are disconnected from the ridge. From both of the ridges, they're in the yeah. middle. And yeah, so, exactly. yeah, the Oceanside Ridge and the Inland Ridge, you're right in the middle. You're really distant from them. That's true. They're really the only holes on the whole course that are are that disconnected because, you know, maybe 18 falls into this bucket, but then you have that punch bowl green that, and you have the property line on the left. So I think that's one of the things, too, is that, like, without really, like, noticing knowing it you know subliminally you pick up on like you're you're not you don't you don't have this bordering massiveness you know on those holes yeah you know i I think this again this is all relative they're really good golf holes but they're just not up to the standard of the rest of the course that four hole stretch in the middle just gets lost a little bit for me And I'd also put the eighth hole, the Biarritz, and the 15th hole that goes from one ridge to another uh, as holes that, in the scheme of things, are are relatively mediocre. Mm -hmm. I think the 15th, like you stand on that tee, and it's it's one of the few times in the round where you you can really lose all sense of train of thought and just swing away. It it just, you know, the the tee shot feels... You know, like a little bit, you know, one of those moments where you just you don't really have to think and you just bash it away. Um, you know, I, I could be completely wrong, but like that's just the way I, I, I feel about it is like that's one of the like I, I typically like when when you're really stimulated and you're you're especially the first time around having to really think about you know, is this the right spot? Do I want it in there? It just seemed like, okay, just just launch it. Just hit it as hard as you can. Um, and uh and, and you'll be fine. Because I hit I hit one off the planet right that bounced back into a fine spot, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think like we we also be remiss not to just mention really the fourteenth, I think is one of the better holes at, at the whole resort, the maiden hole. Um so good. which plays up like just a huge ridge, unbelievable natural blowout bunker on the right. And uh and and that's a really dynamic hole that can play so differently based off the wind. And I think that's the other thing with, with old Mac is like 
the different winds with with the the size of the golf course and the way the pins can change from day to day with with different winds it it really is a golf course that could play so so different and like i think you know that would be a fun golf course a really fun golf course to go play from the forward tees on every hole yeah and and uh, you know a fun golf course this is cliche to say now but a fun golf course to play a half set on and yeah. and, to, and to just sort of liberate yourself from the usual expectations of playing a modern round of golf where you can kind of be creative about your drives and approaches you know especially your approaches if you're just if you're 150 yards from a green at old mcdonald and you're just choosing your 150 yard club you might be missing a little bit of what makes the course unique because a 150 yard shot, usually at that course, you could play with any number of different clubs in different ways. And, uh, you know, taking a few clubs out of your set might, might liberate you to do that. But at the same time, that that's not really an experiment that you're doing if you're playing the course once in your life. I would, I would say that like, that's one of the magic. That's some of the magic of old Mac is that it, it provides you with the most, shot options of any course out there every shot like you have the most avenues to get to the hole than any other golf course like you can hit so many different shots and there's so off there's some you know stuff in front of greens that you have to think about but a lot of times there's lots of contours there that you can move move the ball off of and in like a lot of times you're just enticed to you know if you're 70 yards out like you're enticed to pull out your five iron hit a little bump and run and and often you should, you know, often uh, that's going to work out a little bit better. It's all personal, but, you know, don't be afraid of it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So uh, ultimately, where does where does Old Max sit? I, I think you disagree with me about the middle section of the course. I, I feel like you were more enthusiastic about that part of the course than than I am. Um, and so that might lead you to rate Old Mac a bit more highly than I do. If you're looking at the 18-hole courses at Bandon Dunes, where would you put Old Mac in in a list? So I think I I think if I was going to split ten rounds, I'd, it'd be near the top. You know, I think I think Bandon Trails is is a better course. I think I think that's you know, but I I think it I think I'd have it pretty firmly. In there, I think it and Sheep Ranch to me are are kind of in in the same. I think I I probably like Old Mac a little bit more than Sheep Ranch, but like Sheep Ranch is they're so different. It's hard. Like it's a it's again. I'd put them in that same tier behind Banded Trails and Pacific Dunes. You know. Yeah. So yeah. I I I think like in terms of places though that the, the course I most want to play. That's see that's the thing. That's where like I think I'd play it a lot. Like if, if I just had those courses in my backyard and I didn't work and all I did was play golf, I, just, I think like, and it's impossible to know this because I don't, you know, this isn't a thing, but I think that's one of the, that might be the course that I end up playing the most just because mm-hmm. like how different it could play. Yeah. Th- that's why the, the exercise of um, splitting 10 rounds at courses is interesting because it's a different question than what do you think is the best course or what do mm-hmm. you think is the best design course? Yeah, it's really appealing, the idea of playing Old Mac many times and having different experiences and different wins with different pin positions and having the freedom to try some freaky shots. You know, one of the things people do at Old McDonald that they don't do as much at other courses is after they hole out, they'll just kind of putt around the greens and try different things and see how different putts go. 
that's something that's so fun about that place. And it's one reason why it's appealing to the the idea of playing it over and over. Yeah, there could be some really fun cross country holes out there too. Yeah, if exactly. You just like if you're thinking about like the course of, of <laughs> like it, you know it as a members course, like yeah. you know like there there are some really really fun holes that you could make from you know certain tees to other tees and or other greens and and um, I think that's that's another aspect of it. Like I think it's a it's a course that the it's a grower right. It's a course that like the more you more time you spend out there, the more it's going to grow on you. And and I, I, and I always think that like in a way like that's, you know, uh, all of our rating systems in America, all of the course rankings are predominantly based off people that have seen a course one time. And and I think that's like one of the great flaws of, of the rating system. You know, I don't think that there's a, a real easy fix because nobody's going to spend you know, it's hard enough to see a lot of courses, let alone see a lot of courses twice. But, you know, to me, a lot of the best courses are the ones that you 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 might not like fully grasp the first time around. Yeah, absolutely. All right. I think that pretty much covers it. Thank you, Andy. 